This station is conducting a test of the emergency broadcast system. This is only a test. Look, before we start this episode of the James McMahon Music Podcast, I need to tell you something. I need your help. I need you, when you finish with the episode, to go to the platform you've listened to this podcast on and give me a rating, a review, and to subscribe too. It helps me cheat the algorithm and get more ears on the podcast. And know this, I'm very grateful for it. Also, I have a substack where I write about music and film and telly and all sorts of stuff. I love it if you'd sign up for dispatches. There are different price options, 5 quid a month, 50 quid a year, and for that, you get access to loads of exclusive writing and podcasts. It's the most helpful thing you can do to support the stuff I make. And again, I'd be so grateful. That's spook.substack.com. That's spook with three O's. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. This concludes this test of the emergency broadcast system. Oh, shit, you're listening to the James McMahon Music Podcast. And I'm your host, James McMahon. And this is a Spook Media Production. Shame. 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 I was lucky enough to hear an advanced copy of Shame's forthcoming third album, Food for Worms, last week. It's not on general release until February 24th, 2023, and when it is, it'll be on the Dead Oceans label. But such is his brilliance, no hype. It is incredible. I thought I'd give singer Charlie Steen a shout to talk a little bit more about it. And an illuminating chat it was. If nothing else, I now know where to head to in Brixton if I'm craving jerk chicken the audio is a bit scratchy than usual charlie's on his phone but then this is a place of rock and roll not a nunnery say that again and we'll have it on the tape i was just saying thank you very much for patience and rescheduling as well no don't worry about it all honestly um it's all good i'm pleased to have you on um on good form i presume i presume you're on good form yeah are you uh i don't know really today i'm a bit i don't know I don't know. I'm, no, no, I'm not really. Actually, I'm feeling a bit. Uh, I'm feeling a bit in despair at the world, but I think it's that time of year, isn't it? Yeah, despair season. Yeah, it's a, it's a very fucking uh, divisive period. Christmas time, isn't it? It's just a very divisive age. <laughs> it's just it's just fucking exhausting. Um, yeah, which kind of brings me onto your record. Yeah, good, isn't it? <laughs> I hope so. Are you happy with it? Really, really happy with it. I can, you know, it might, you know, I don't know what way it sounds, but I sort of couldn't be more proud of it. I'm really, sort of, really happy. Yeah, no, I think you, uh, I think you've got every right to. I have to say, you know, with your band, they like, have followed you through the records, and I felt like 
last time around, whilst there was some good songs on it, I felt mm. a bit like you were sort of um, not pressing reset, but kind of working out what you were at that point. Mm. Where, whereas this time around, it feels like you, you know, you've kind of like invented your own language and you're speaking it fluently. Mm. Yeah, I think I think the second one as well. I mean, it's weird to sort of look look back on that now. I think we're all really proud of it. But it definitely, it was a time, you know, it was sort of the second album, isn't it? And that's always an interesting one to look at. And I mean, we're still like 22 or 23 or something like that then. And I think, I think 22, but I think it was after all that touring and stuff like that. And I think there was, you know, that was the kind of theme of it, sort of like a bit of an identity crisis. So it's not surprising that it kind of comes across that way. And it was a different way in which we wrote. And I think with this one, we basically just sort of went back to the way we wrote the first album. And, you know, sort of like we sort of did all these sort of secret shows under the pseudonym of Almost Shameless. And um, just sort of had to get together songs quickly. You know, we started, this is the quickest we've ever done anything. We started writing January 18th this year. We went into the studio on May 1st to start recording. So the really, really quick process is just sort of, and it, which sort of makes it quite concise as well, the sort of themes and stuff like that on the record. I mean, that's interesting though, because there's some places I feel like you go to on the record that are unlike what you've done before. Like, I, I think that song, the song Adderall, which I played and I had to yeah. play it again straight away afterwards. Um, there's two things about that song. One of them is I cannot believe that song's been written by people who are so young and that sounds like a knobhead old person thing to say but it's got such a kind of um it's got such a sort of a a longing in in it that Mm. it's surprising it's surprising to me that that can be felt by people so in their infancy in their life really and also Mm. just like it's just it's just a different color in the palette yeah well that was um so we went away to write so january 18th we didn't we sort of did a lot of writing last year so in 2021 and some really good ideas came out of it you know like six pack ended coming out of it and other things but we couldn't we couldn't progress past the sort of verse or you know like a sort of six minute verse we were just jamming or whatever we couldn't really get together a song and then our management set us this challenge of the sort of you know you have two weeks to play two shows at the windmill in brixton with completely new songs and we went away January 18th and the day we went away, Josh, uh, you know, our bassist got COVID and Josh was very involved in the music and the sort of, uh, sort of arrangement and stuff like that. Um, and so that was a big blow, but when we came in, I sort of picked up the bass and that was the first song that we did. It was, I did the bass line. I don't play instruments. I, you know, before then I've been playing a lot recently. Before then I never sort of contributed musically to shame at all. And what kind of happened then was if you notice the bass line is just, well, it doesn't change. It's four notes. So you can tell, do you know what I mean? It's like my kind of line. And it's the same as the vocal melody. So from doing that as well, I mean, Sean came up with the chorus, you know, the sort of like, I don't know. I was just, you know, we were writing to play live again. So I was like, okay, cool. We did that. And then I was like, okay, cool. So let's do bass and drums and vocals for the verse. Then guitars come in. That's the chorus. 
then back to bass and drums reverse, then another chorus, and then we moved on. And then Josh, who was sort of getting the files and stuff, wrote the second half of the song, that sort of ending bit, and it came together really quickly. But we'd also, uh, I'm so sorry, I know I'm droning on about all this shit. I don't know if I'm answering the question properly. No, no, it's good, it's good. Um, we'd, be, we'd been set another challenge by management just before that as well to sort of learn a cover and see if that comes from anything. And we just learned um, Be My Baby. All right. And in that, obviously, the chorus is the, you know, the, they sort of do the chorus line, you know, be my, be my, be my baby. And then she does the kind of be my little baby. Do you know what I mean? So it's a real interesting, like, call and response, which was basically, I was like, you do that and then I'll do something else. Um, but yeah, I mean, it came, that's just sort of like everything. That was probably that, you know, the sort of core of the song without the second half, which is obviously still a massive factor, was sort of written in just like half an hour, 45 minutes. Who's the female vocal on that? Phoebe Bridges. I love the fact that you're being all low-key about that, by the way. Well, it's because she kind of came, she was in the studio. I should say that I knew that, but I just thought I'll ask and then it'll tell me about it. Yeah, she was in the same, she was in the same building and we're on the same label and we'd kind of met, she'd, we'd done like an interview thing together a while ago and uh, she came up and said hello in person and she's fucking sound and we were doing that track Adderall and we'd had ideas to have vocals as well and we kind of initially when we wrote that song we were just like great to have an american do vocals on it as well because it's an american drug and we'd literally only just done we were doing the sort of josh and sean and eddie were doing the bvs for the chorus and we hadn't done the end section or whatever and you know i can't remember who i think flood her, ma- her manager came up or whatever flood was like do you, do you want to mind if uh, phoebe comes up and does some vocals and he was like yeah we're going to ask her Nice. And she and she was playing in Birmingham later that day, and she was just like, "You do know this is like the range that this is in. My vocals are kind of blend in." And we were just like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, do it. No, just go ahead and do it." Um, and she sort of did it in about that was like four minutes, and then sort of he actually had to get in the car and go up to Birmingham. It's kind of wild, that man. I mean, I feel a bit like we're, uh, you know, there's lows on this record that you can talk about, but I just think I just think that song is just the the you know, the gem in the crown, you know. You, you, you mentioned Six Pack, though, which is, a, you know, an abrasive little number. Is that is that Paul Shag Jones playing on that song? Yeah, do you know him? He's like, um, he was like a fixture of my 20s pissing around in Camden. You know, he was yeah. like one of those kind of faces that was around, you know, like, uh, but he was in Elastica briefly, which I always, and l- l- the, the great linoleum, who were yeah. a band from my youth? Who uh, I was always very impressed by that. But how, how has he ended up on that song? He he's not only um one of our managers, but he's also my flatmate. No, I live with Paul. Yeah, that's wild. I know it's fucking insane. I had to move out. Like we've been living together for a year and three months. I had to move out of my flat uh, last September, and he's worked with us from the beginning. He's worked with us since he was seventeen. Oh, I did um, not know that. Yeah, he worked with it. I mean, obviously, we had to finish school and stuff like that. We're managed by Rough Trade, so we've got three managers, Georgie, Cal, and Paul. Yeah. They're all fucking heroes. Um, and, yeah, so but I live with him, and obviously, anyone who knows Paul knows that give him any excuse to play the guitar and he'll do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that, that, that's amazing. Yeah, it was just quite fun. I mean, so you mentioned Adder on Six Pack and me talking about how we went back to the original process of writing, of writing to play live. What was great is that we we knew from playing these songs which bombs were getting good reactions okay. you can just 
see it very clearly. And Adderall, I mean, we've been playing these songs now since February live. And like Adderall and Six Pack, two of the songs that always get the biggest reactions. And that's in a set of us playing songs that we have released as well. Right. It's been a very interesting experience to sort of, I think that's, you know, have this sort of confidence with these strong, with these songs or whatever. And sort of find out what's working, or whatever. But yeah, six packs are really, That's just a fun one. I I think almost going back to what we were talking about at the beginning, you know, when you were saying, "Are you all right?" You know, "How are you?" kind of thing. Not "Are you all right?" Kind of yeah. "How are you?" And I was. I just think today I've got like just a bit of sort of existential angst. The kind of the I'm feeling just like the world is off its hinges, which I, I felt like for a while. And I think one of the things I like about your band is that I t- I talk on the podcast quite a lot about how like i hear new music and it can be really good but i feel like it just doesn't have very much relevance to it doesn't have like a load of relevance to kind of like the the moment that we're in like that the world is in and and i don't and i never feel like that about your band and i guess that what i was going to say is i i actually i was i was sort of planning on speaking to you ages ago because i i did a podcast series called shame which was about online shaming and quote-unquote cancel culture and things like that. And I was like, oh, well, you know, it'd be great to speak to the band Shame. But I never really, um, I didn't kind of like, I don't really like talking about band names because it's boring, but I didn't really kind of like know kind of almost like how much relevance. Was it just a word that you thought sounded cool for a band name or how much is the idea of shame infused in the music you make? Uh, I mean, initially it was a name that we were all just like, yeah, it would do for the moment whatever yeah. we uh we started the band queen's head in brixton this pub and i remember we used to go out i was there the other day actually it's under very new management now it's really good um but i was there the other day and just thought about you know i probably we probably spent a thousand hours in that garden and we would go out sort of like you know for our breaks and stuff like that and sit there and just sort of come up with the shittest band names in the world and then lennon who is charlie forbes his dad our drummer's dad uh he's on the cover for drunk tank pink he was the one who, who said shame and d wayne who tragically passed away but was in alabama free mm. was in the garden and he was just like yeah i like that name that's good and we were like okay cool we'll go with it but we were 17 so when we first sort of started doing like open mic nights or we tell our mates about it you know people think we we're like a heavy metal band or something like that all oh, right yeah 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 i think we're all very happy we decided with it because it's definitely you know, I think we're talking about relevance and stuff like that and the exploitation of shame. Well, I guess the thing, I mean, you know, like tell me to, tell me to fuck off if I'm, if I'm praying too much, but there was Ooh. a, I, I was reading a thing when you were talking about like body image. Yeah. Can you tell me a bit about that or is that a weird thing for you to talk about? No, I don't really care. Uh, I, don't know, but no, I, don't care. I think it's linked into why I don't care about talking about it i mean sort of when you know when i was a teenager i was a chubby teenager you know never had a girlfriend never did this you know what I mean? blah, blah, blah 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 uh i was sort of very insecure about my weight uh and when we started the band you know we when we sort of started doing the first shows i would take my top off and it was a way of sort of embracing this insecurity and pretty immediately, I mean, it was just, it was pretty instantaneous how we knew that all we wanted to do was the band. You know, we were still doing our A-levels and stuff, and it was just all the time, you know, anytime we had a spare moment, we'd go down to Brixton, go down to the Queen's Head. Um, and pretty immediately, I knew just sort of like being on stage was 
thing I enjoyed the most. And it was sort of this 15 minutes, 20 minutes or whatever, where you don't really give a fuck what you, what other people think about you. Yeah. And that's kind of it. And I think the ethos, I mean, I think even like, you know, like One Rose was the first song we wrote. And I was like 16 when I did the lyrics to that. Yeah. As is probably evident. But I think, you know, it kind of says exactly, you know, that in the song or whatever about the sort of the ethos of the band or maybe from my perspective or whatever is any of these insecurities that you feel sort of ashamed of or whatever, you know, it's time to sort of exploit them and embrace them and be sort of proud of them. Very much my perspective on it as well and it, it's weird on this shane podcast i did and like i say i interviewed like i interviewed like amanda knox who'd been like wrongfully imprisoned and the world thought she was a murderer and she really wasn't and yeah interviewed like um gail porter you know who was this you know very popular tv presenter who, who lost all of her hair and I, like literally the thing that i learned from it was it's like kind of shame dies when it's dragged into the light yeah which i think is a little bit like what you're saying to be honest can I ask you two uh, Brixton-centric? You, I mean, you've mentioned Brixton a bunch of times, yeah. and it's obviously linked to your story. Can, can I ask two Brixton-specific questions? Yeah, go for it. So the first one is that recently I've got absolutely obsessed with jerk chicken. Where's the best jerk chicken in Brixton? So refuel, probably. Where's that? It's uh, If you come out of the station, you go towards the McDonald's, you take a right um, before you get to McDonald's. You go down there. Also, it's open super fucking late. I'm like, well, I'm like Walthamstow, so you know, that's worth a trip on the Victoria Line. I think. Yeah, on the Blue Thunder. On the Blue Thunder, love that. I've never heard that before, but I'm really into that. Yeah. Um, my second Brixton question is: my band, I used to be in a band, and we used to play at the Windmill all the time. And yeah. uh, what a treat it was when we found that place. What's the dog roof situation at the moment? You know, I haven't been back there. I think I you know one of the dogs passed away. Um, but there's a new dog. I mean, it's fucking freezing at the moment, but they're pretty hard, those dogs. They really are, yeah. I can't, you know what, it's, this sounds terrible to say, but I haven't been there in so long. Right. Uh, but, you know, I know, I don't know if it was Lucky who passed away, or if I don't know if Lucky's a dog that's there at the moment. But there's still a dog there, basically. Oh, well, that's that's good to know. I mean, I feel like if the dogs ever leave the roof of the windmill, it's sort of like the ravens leaving the Tower of London. It's the, uh, the end for all of yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. I, I, the other thing I don't yeah. really like. The other thing I don't really like talking about in interviews is is is, is artwork, right? Because I I just get like, yeah. but I've got to ask about it the, the sleeve because I just think it's amazing. Like who who did that and where did that come from? So an artist called Marcel Zama did it. Okay. Uh, Amer- I'm, I'm believe American. Uh, I don't want to say that and then find out he's Canadian. Okay. Um, he's a fucking amazing artist. And we are cow, you know, one of our managers sort of sent over it kind of probably quite a while ago, sort of sent over some of his stuff to the group or whatever. And we were just like, whoa, this is fucking wicked. Um, and we knew we wanted to have artwork for this album. And we all just thought it was great and it kind of lives in its own world. And he's also fucking prolific. Right. Got an, I don't know when this is going to go out, but he's got an exhibition on at the moment in Green Park, which is free. Oh, that's uh, good. I'm, I'm going to whack it out this week. So. Okay, Wicked, yeah, it goes until 22nd of December. Okay. Um, and I definitely recommend going to that. It's amazing. Uh, and, yeah, so Cal got in touch with him about whether he'd wanted to do any work with us, and he'd heard us on an American radio station, KEXP. We did a session for them fucking ages ago, and he was like, yeah, I'm a fan of the band or whatever. He was like, I'd love to do it. And all he asked for, he's done 
four artwork covers for us for singles. He did the album cover. He did the back of the album cover. And all he asked for was just some signed records of the album. Blimey. Just a fucking real hero. Sort of, you know, didn't, didn't care that it was going to be on T-shirts and all this other shit you have to think about with artwork and get licensing for and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure you've already thought this, but I'm a little bit like, you know, if your record goes multi-treble, triple platform, platinum I, I feel like you have to chuck you have to chuck him some money yeah yeah i don't know the possibility of that in 2023 but we'll see what happens <laughs> yeah totally yeah yeah or just like a whip round or something i'm just trying to i'm just trying to imagine him signing uh in paying his mortgage with 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 signed sleeves you know but yeah well what's, what's the famous one with uh this uh with Nirvana, you know, the Nevermind app, but that yeah. was like 100 quid. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, I'm terrified by this AI, AI art all over social media the last couple of days. Like, all these people sharing oh, AI art, and everyone's just like, oh, this is, this is dead cool. And I'm like, literally, if you have any, like, love of creative industries, like, really, you shouldn't be encouraging this. <laughs> like, because, yeah. like, the moment that, well, you know, the moment that gets, we, we need to keep this stuff for people to make is my slightly yeah. Luddite view, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I've been seeing it over Instagram. It seems pretty weird. We should probably wrap up in a sec just because it's, it's a bit of a wonky signal and um, you're cutting out a bit and it's been such a nice chat that I, I wouldn't want you to just vanish. But it does feel like when I have been spending a bit of time with a record, it, it feels like... It feels like you're talking about friendship quite a lot. Am I off base there? No, no, no. That's completely right. Yeah, it's basically a record about friendship. Right, okay. Has that come out of how exhausting the tour was and how that kind of bonded you? Or That's definitely sort of the subconscious large reason for it. But the sort of conscious reason was ages ago we played in, I mean, like years ago we played in Athens and Eddie's mate was down at the show or whatever, an Irish guy who was just living over there and we were having a conversation and I have no fucking memory of what the song he mentioned was or whatever but he's talking about a song that's about uh, let's say it's a Beatles song so do you know what I mean just for lack of memory yeah it was a song about their friend and we were talking about how it's interesting how sort of in music the sort of main scope of it in terms of themes is about sort of love or lust or heartbreak yeah. Sort of for a partner or ex partner or whatever. Whereas there isn't really like that much stuff about just people singing about their mates or whatever. Even though, sort of, at, you know, that's sort of probably one of the most important things in your life your friendship with your friend, uh, your relationship with your friends. Yeah, no, absolutely. And especially at the moment, you know what I mean? There's so many sort of, there's a good Blind Boy podcast and he sort of talks about, you know, how sort of a lot of us and now forced to act as therapists to our friends. Yeah. And I sort of think that's quite, you know, in the sort of pressure that and the sort of anguish that puts on a lot of people. Hmm. I think that's true. And I don't know whether it's just generational. It's probably, it's probably not. Do you know what I mean? But when you're sort of forced to step up to the plate in, in an area that, you know, mentally affects you as well, and you are not necessarily equipped to deal with because you're not a fucking professional. But you have to step up, step up to the plate because they're your friend and you love them. Mm, mm. I think sort of a lot of it's talking about that. 
It's really interesting, actually. I, I mean, I always talk about this on the podcast because it's so sort of core to my experience of, of, of life. But I've, I've OCD, which is a very difficult condition to yeah. man, to manage and, and to um, to manage. And um, it's interesting that I kind of have really tried to not be to almost like not treat my friends as therapists because with all the best kind of like will in the world, like sometimes almost like kind of the treatment for OCD is so different to the advice that people would give you. Right. Like, so I've sort of tried to keep it in like a professional realm, but that is so interesting that like, I just think that like life is so challenging for so many people that, and you, Mm. you probably would turn to your friends. Um, are you, do you feel, I know you'd had like some stuff with panic attacks. Do you feel like you're on the back end of that now? Yeah, I know, I know what's sort of good for me. You know, I know that I'm a person who sort of needs sleep. I know that sort of, uh, you know, I'm just sort of a bit older. Also, you know, I look back on that time and like before leading up to it, like I was fucking caning it a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, like a pretty, well, the amount that fucking someone who's like 20 years old would do. Do you know what I mean? If they sort yeah. of get brighter every night, et cetera. Yeah. And so, I don't know, just sort of things like that, just sort of being a bit more sort of aware. But, I don't know. And I, I think what we're saying is it's not like sort of people come to me sort of all the time and sort of ask all this advice and stuff like that. But, you know, it's, it's definitely just sort of present and you want to kind of catch up with your mate and see what's going on. But no, I, I think, I don't think it's behind me. I think it will definitely, I think the moment you kind of realize that I will have another panic attack at some point, you know, I will sort of feel a certain way at some point as well, then you know that's fucking reality that's what's going to happen as long as you're aware of that and you can accept that and just realize that when it does you're just going to have to deal with it and you can do everything you can to prevent it then that's sort of the only way you can do it i mean i think next year is going to be a a big one for the shame boys so make sure you get enough sleep before it all begins yeah thank you very much mate i appreciate it thanks always for your time man um like i say i i I love I love this record and um I'm wishing you everything brilliant once Christmas is out of the way. That really means a lot. Merry Christmas, mate. Well that was episode 101. Thanks to Charlie for the chat. Thanks to Matthew Fogg for hooking us up. The theme tune is by the band Jobbers. And I'll see you soon. That's beautiful. And then we take that and just pour that on top of our chicken. You pick up your palette knife and then work that into your meat. Give your meat a good old rub.